This is Josh Mills. And this is Acquired Tastings After Dark with George. (laughs) Acquired Tastings After Dark on the Acquired Tastings Podcast. We're very happy to have you guys along with us here on a wine week in happy January. For those of you who are doing dry January, good on you. Those of you who are doing a damp January, good on you. Those of you who are doing a full wet January, good on you as well. (laughs) And welcome back to the podcast. We're very happy, like I said, to have you guys with us. And this week we're doing wines. And in the theme of dry or damp January, we're doing wines that are 12-ish percent alcohol. I know on the podcast last week I said we're going to do wines 12% or under. Well, with George decided to join me for this episode, you know, we, we kind of flipped it around a little bit because most of the wines that are going to be that low have some sort of elevated sweetness on them. Which is not yeah. something Jordan would enjoy. So we gave ourselves a half a point. So all these wines are 12 and a half and under. And I'm happy to have you along with me, Jordan. Thanks. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been back. And uh, we still haven't got you those... We still haven't got you those headphones yet. No, that's okay. We'll have to, we'll have to work on that mm-hmm. before next time. And so, Jordan, why don't you tell us what wine you decided to bring. And go ahead and tell us the ABV on it as well. So I have Lucien Albrey Cremant d'Alsace, and I'm double-checking the percentage on this one, so give me one second, and it is 12%. Yeah, so 12%, so right at kind of the threshold we were talking about last week. And then I brought the Gloria Friar Blanc de Blanc, and it is 12.5%. And so as we go along this time, we'll talk about like lower alcohol options, when it comes to wine, what's considered high alcohol, what's considered low alcohol, and kind of talk about some of that variations. And because I think I know we've had the Lucien Albrey on the show before. I don't think we've had Goya Friar. So we'll talk a little bit about the wines and the methods and those sorts of things and the history on it as well. But we'll also just kind of, you know, to George's episode, we'll have a, a good old time and kind of <laughs> BS a little bit. I will say it's very hard to find red wines that yeah. are 12% and under, hence the double sparkling making an appearance yeah and we'll talk about why that is and kind of where if you do want to look for that what to look for and what what is considered lower alcohol within different varieties but before we jump into that uh, we have some snacks with us jordan and i just did one plate this week Uh, we have a patty melt and we have some arancini Uh, these arancini are a little bit smaller than last week's and these are actually stuffed with goat cheese Yum. <laughs> you know, goat cheese makes an appearance that everybody drank. Um, and now, and then we have a Philly cheese steak cheese fry, which is going to be really good. Yep. And um, so before we jump in, Jordan, we got to talk about the blind from last week. I've got the envelope this week. You know, dad um, just handed it to me. He's like, hmm, you should just go ahead and read this one. Because, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a big, big Italian Italian phrase. So, so I would butcher it. So I thought it was Palma, pomegranate liqueur. It was very sweet, very kind of cherry flavored, not really very bitter. So I, and it was bright red, like it had that kind of bold red color. But what it actually was, is it was the Capoletti, which is a Primitivo in the Americano Rosso style. So a little bit sweeter. And, I mean, we'd been drinking bitter on bitter, so I would think my bitter palate was just blown out at that point. It was point. dead. Yeah, and, I mean, there's some bitterness on that, but I just couldn't detect it from 
based on what, I mean, especially coming off Amaro Nocino. Nonino. Amaro Nonino, not Nocino. But, all right, Jordan. Well. Our... Oh, and I have some olives just because oh. if you guys know me, it's probably going to be terrible with wine, but I love anything pickled. Pickled and, and brined. brined. So, um, they tend to just make appearances because it's what I want to eat. Yeah. And so we, we're going to go ahead and start with the cheers. cheers. So Lucien Albre, cheers you guys out there. Mm. Such a yummy wine. I love this. It's so bright, so acidic, so lemony. Yeah, lots of lemon. I love this because when you don't want to go full on champagne on a mm. Tuesday, yeah, it just... It's a good price bottle. It's got so much flavor. It goes well with so many foods. And, you know, most of the time you can find it on sale for 17 or under. Yeah. In Arkansas, you're going to, it'll be right around the 22, like this, the 16 to $22 range. Now, for those of you out of state who have different tax structures, it'll probably be quite a bit less, but it's still a good 20 buck bottle. Yeah. It was, um, on sale for like 15 or 16 can't remember maybe it was 17 like 16.99 okay when i went in to pick it up so still just a great bottle for a great price yeah definitely it's a it's a lovely bottle we've talked about lucien abre on the on the when we've had it probably at least three times i think this is maybe the third the third appearance of lucien abre but you know talking about Lower alcohol wines. And when we say lower, you know, I kind of put arbitrarily 12% as kind of the lower range, which in my opinion, you know, that's double most beers. You know, a 6% beer, this is that's double that. And when we have wines that range up into the 15, 16% alcohol sometimes, you know, I think that's a good range to kind of look at something a little bit lower. You can have a lot of it. You can, you're not going to get a whole bunch of whole bunch of drunk on it but a lot of the times you're going to find white wines that are going to have that way they have sometimes they'll have a little bit less sugar content in them so during fermenting so when it comes to the alcohol content of wine it all comes down to sugar and where the sugar is and how much sugar there is because you know wine is in a fermented beverage as we all know Yeast makes alcohol when it eats sugar. So the more sugar there is in the actual yeast, in the actual like must itself, a lot of times you'll have higher alcohol. So the higher the sugar content in the grape in the vineyard, the higher con, the higher sugar, the higher most likely the alcohol is. How's that arancini over there? It's good. I'm waiting, waiting to uh, finish this mouthful so I can take a sip of wine because. <laughs> As most people know who like sparkling wines or champagnes, sparkling carbonated wines, whether it's a champagne or just a nice like Cremant or other that's sparkling, usually goes so, so well. Anything fried goes so well. So I'm really excited about yeah. a fried arancini and some sparkling wine. <laughs> you know, and when talking about the grapes and everything, you know, warmer climates are going to grow when the right when the grapes are ripe, they're going to have more sugar in them. So if you're looking for options that have lower alcohol, you're going to want to look for cooler climates in general. And that's why sparkling wine does really well because sparkling wine is usually done 
in colder climates where you have higher acidity, which means you have less sugar, and less sugar for that yeast to eat means the lower alcohol content. So now that I've blabbered on a little bit about some science, Jordan, tell us about the food. Oh my gosh. This arancini with the little bit of the sweetness from the tomato, the nice crunch on the outside from being fried, that acidity from the goat cheese pocket you get in the middle, and then the acidity and the lemoniness and the little bit of sweetness of this wine are just, in my opinion, match made in heaven. Um, I may not eat anything else on this plate. I may just eat arancinis. <laughs> well, it's okay. We can heat some more up. <laughs> so, Josh, if you want some arancinis, you might want to grab them and put them on your plate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. It, it's exactly like she said, that the acidity of the wine plays with the the friedness and the the texture of the of the rice itself and the acid of the goat cheese just plays against it so 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 well now jordan have you ever done a dry january or like a damp which is just less <laughs> less consuming than than normal no i have always said in January that I'm going to cut back and I do cut back a little bit but not what I would consider enough to be a significant to be a damp and definitely not a dry January yeah I you know I enjoy having that glass of wine or three um after work or as you as you're going through the evening you know and through the evening it's not like I'm just Slamming a glass, slamming a glass, slamming a glass. They are spread out. They are enjoyed, but, or, or beer or a cocktail, but I've never really done it. I always say I have the good intentions and then I have a bad day at work or it's a weekend and I just don't follow through with what I said because I'm not great at that sometimes. (laughs) You know, it was interesting doing the podcast last year. I think in February is when we did it, uh, when we did all the non-alcoholics. We did the non-alcoholic uh-huh. beer. We did the non-alcoholic spirits that are out there. <clears throat> you know, it's very interesting to see how the market is really kind of swinging in that direction, or at least having the options, which I think is really cool. I love the options. I mean, I have a lot of friends that don't drink at all, whether it's because they've had problems in the past with alcohol abuse or health issues, whatever it might be. So I love that to see more options coming out there and options that actually taste pretty good. Right. And that's the thing is, you know, at least for our generation, you know, our culture is so big and it's just, you know, it's not that we, as a generation or alcoholics, but we enjoy going out and socializing and then having something to drink. You know, a lot of times it's, we don't throw as many dinner parties. We all meet at the bar or we meet at the restaurant. Right. And I think it's really cool that now people who choose to be sober or have to be sober for health reasons or whatever, have an option at a bar besides, you know, Coke, iced tea, soda, lemonade, those sorts of things. And like you said, they're tasting good. You know, one of our favorite restaurants 
here in town, the pantry at both their locations have non-alcoholic and low alcoholic options on their cocktail menu now. Which I absolutely love that they do that Uh for people that don't drink much or at all or people that are just trying to cut back a little bit during certain months. Um, It's nice that restaurants are actually recognizing that and catering to that. Yeah. And, you know, you know, talking about the going out, you know, if you're trying to have children or you're pregnant or those sorts of things, or you've just had a kid, you want to have those options where you can still enjoy an evening out with your significant other and not partake in the alcohol, but still feel like you're having a good time with some sort of specialty drink. Yeah. So I think that was really cool. And, you know, the interesting thing, you know, thinking back for those of you who've been along the journey with us. Leslie was talking, talked about this. She said, there's no real good non-alcoholic wine options right now. And I think that's kind of what kind of sat in my head and was like, let's talk about some lower alcohol option when it comes to wine. You know, wine is, I think winemaking is magic. I think there's, there's something magical in the aging and the meth in the maturation process when it comes to yeast and grape specifically that makes it really hard to duplicate without 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 the alcohol alcohol. and you know so when you're looking for these options you know you there's a lot of things you need to think about because you know we're talking about sparkling wines today that are 12 and a half percent and under and that's pretty common in sparkling wine you may find some that are a little bit more maybe a little bit less but this is kind of the norm for sparkling wine i looked at quite a few sparkling wines when i was picking up a bottle for tonight and a lot of them were right around 12 probably up to like 13 and a half 11 and a half i think i saw one that was actually 11 oh interesting um but in that range of up to like 13 and a half, I think there was one I saw that was maybe 14. Right. Um, a lot of why I chose the wine I did was it's what works in my budget. Mm-hmm. And it's, I know it's a good solid wine. Yeah. And it's something that's distributed very widely. So if you are in another country, if another state, not here in Arkansas, you can probably find this on your shelf. Yeah, I think both of these will be definitely options in almost any state in the U.S. And definitely some international spots as well. But so kind of the greater point I was getting at, feel free to continue to eat and drink. Oh, I'm going to. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, blathering on here. I'm about to. Can you actually pour me some more? Yeah. Please. This is kind of medium range for this specific style of wine. But if we look at Cabernets or... Uh, yeah, if we, let's just say we look at Cabernets. You know, if you look at a good California Cabernet, you're going to see 13 and a half, 14, 14.5, maybe even 15% alcohol because they're grown. It's a warmer climate grape that is grown to more rich styles. But there are certain producers that say, you know what, I want to have less alcohol in the wine. So I'm going to pick it earlier. You know, one that comes to mind is Matthiasen. Matthiasen wines, we remember we had that one. It was a mixed year. 
um, had bought the bottle at Hot Springs. Yeah. And it was really, it was super, it was super tasty, but it was very different than other styles of Cabernet. Really more sit, more acid driving through it. That was actually 13. I loved it. <laughs> it's 13 and a half percent alcohol. So when I was looking today, I was like, oh, if I give us a percent and a half, but I was like, I don't want to do that. Because that's a percent and a half. It doesn't seem like that much in the scheme of life, but in alcohol. Yeah. It's quite a bit. Yeah. And I want to, I did want to show options because 13 is 13 across the range is very common. That's, that's kind of middle of the road. I wanted to find something a little bit less. And, but that for in within that style of wine, it's on the lower end. So if you wanted to look at those sorts of options, you can start looking into a little bit more or talking to your wine professional in your store. What are some, who are people that are doing these lower, lower alcohol options? And it may be some more natural producers where they're, you know, kind of pulling it down a little bit. <clears throat> and, you know, even like Zinfandel. Zinfandel can get up into the 16 and above. But if you find a 13, you know, a 13 and a half or 14, even a 14% Zinfandel, that's a lower alcohol Zinfandel. So when you're looking at wine, you kind of have to look at it in this global picture, but you also have to look at it in a very narrow picture. You know, we're looking at it very global. Now, I could have, if I wanted to be mean, go get some Rieslings. That Please don't do that to me. That are going to be 10% and under. And this is going to talk, now this talks about the other side of the sugar scale. And before we get into that, I want to eat a little bit more food. So I want to hear, Jordan, what have you been eating and what's been really good with this Lucien Albre? So I've had a little bit of the patty melt. Um, it's good because it's got fat. It's got some caramelized onions on it, cheese, and it looks like it's on a marbled rye. So, you know, you get a little bit of sweet yet savory from the rye the onions are definitely a little bit sweet you get that fat from the meat and the cheese and so as a whole package it goes very well i've had some of the fries with the philly cheesesteak topping and you know that's got meat onions cheese steak bacon steak bacon yes steak bacon exists um but by far, so the olives are not a good choice. Um, <laughs> I love it because I love olives, but I would say objectively, if I was talking for the masses, which I am talking to the masses out there, and thank you for listening to me babble, olives and sparkling wine, not the best choice you can make. Yeah, especially by themselves. But um, but I would say the Arancini is still my favorite, just Fried food and sparkling wine oh, are a match made in heaven. They are very good, but that that Philly cheesesteak fry with that steak bacon. The steak bacon is kind of like pastrami. It's probably the closest thing I could say it is. That's how I described it the other night at dinner when we took those the Philly cheesesteak bombs. Yes. Yeah. Um, is that it was very near pastrami so it's 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 very peppery it's very garlicky it's very it's heavily flavored you get that almost like corned beef kind of flavor from the actual beef itself and with the onions and the cheese whiz and the bell pepper i, I mean that works so well it's very heavy 
like the wine stands up to it. It doesn't weigh down your palate, but it's not, I mean, it's not as a perfect of a, as a go together as the arancini, but it still works very, it does. It does. Um, it does play down the wine a little bit, but the wine still stands up. Yeah. It's, I think the arancini elevates the wine, the, Philly fries, whatever you want to call this conglomeration that is delicious, by the way. <laughs> but there's so much going on with the cheese whiz, the fries, yeah. the steak, bacon, the onions. It plays the wine down a little more. Mm-hmm. But I would not say no if you put a plate of these in front of me and gave me Lucien Albrey. Oh, yeah. I would be, not. I would be there 100%. And... For you guys that have listened long enough to hear several of my episodes, if there's one thing you know, I like to eat, and I like to drink, and I like my food to complement each other. Yeah, and I th- I think to I think a a sparkling wine that had a little bit more toast and brioche kind of flavors to it may work a little bit better because this is very. <laughs> In music tone, here we go. This is very high toned. It's yeah. a very high toned wine. There are some mid tones down there, but it's very much drives on that high part. And that Philly cheese very much is a base bottom kind of feel to it. If I'm remembering our next wine when we get there, if I'm remembering correctly, the Gloria Friar is a little more toasty, brioche. And if I'm wrong, tell me. Um, maybe. Or am I thinking about a different one? <laughs> well, no, you might be thinking of their regular one, with this uh, being the Blanc de Blanc and being all Chardonnay, it oh, may be a little bit different, but it still may have that some might, of that toasty flavor. That I might be what I'm thinking about as their, just their regular. regular. I haven't had the Blanc de Blanc in a long time, which um, is a shame, but I haven't had it in a long time. So I'm probably thinking of their other one, not their yeah. Blanc de Blanc. Um. But I remember one of them being more bready. So I was really yeah. interested. And I'm still interested to see what the food's going to do with that wine. Yeah. You know, a little a little bit about kind of some of these. We'll finish this up, this uh, Lucien Albrey up here and move on to the Gloria Friar here in just a second. But, you know, if, we're, if you're trying to think of varietals that may have a little bit lower alcohol or uh, especially speaking of reds, you know, we talked about climate, so you have to think about what grapes grow in a cooler climate. In a cooler climate, we're looking at Pinot Noir. We're looking at Gamay. We're looking at Ooh, Gamay. sometimes, depending on how it's processed, you're looking at northern Italian wines. Definitely not Corvina. So the, the wines that are dried, where they actually like dry the grape a little bit and raisinate it, those aren't going to be as lower in alcohol as some of the other ones from northern Italy can be. And, you know, even if you find a you know, I was very curious because I can't I can't remember what it is now, but the the still Pinot Meunier that Dad brought from Darting, uh, from Germany. I have a feeling that may be a little bit on the lower side. Because it could be in a cool climate. You know, in the US you're thinking of, you know, Oregon some parts of Washington and northern Northern California may find some cooler climate or New Zealand. You know, I actually found I think you can find probably a twelve percent or maybe a twelve and a half percent Pinot Noir from from New Zealand because it's, you know, 
it's still cool down there. They have all the you know the ocean breezes that help keep the vineyards cool. So you have to you kind of if you're looking for this, it's a little bit more difficult. Like I know I picked up about forty bottles trying to find stuff yeah, that, I, that fit the bill that fit up, what we were drinking too. I picked up probably fifteen to twenty red wines, and yeah. they were all like thirteen, thirteen and a half, you know, into the fourteen ish range, and I got frustrated. Because yeah. I don't have a lot of patience for stuff like that. <laughs> and so I had been told, thank you, Josh, that sparkling wines tend to be lower. And so I kind of abandoned the red wines, which I love red wine. I, I love sparkling too. I'm not a big still white wine fan. But I abandoned my first love, which is red wine. I went to my second love, which is sparkling wines. And started looking at the back of those bottles and I found two like right off the bat that were 12, 12 and a half very quickly. Yeah. If you would have asked me specifically, I was going to tell you Grier. The Grier Blanc de Blanc I looked at today was 12, uh, but I was really, I was really looking hard trying to find a red wine. Yeah. Uh, but then we, you know, we had to pivot, you know, so. Red wine can be a little bit more difficult to hit this lower mark, but white wines, because white wines generally grow in cooler climates than red wines, you'll have some that'll, you know, obviously bleed over, like Chardonnay is grown a lot where Pinot Noir is, but Pinot Noir is a cold clim- a cooler climate grape. So you have all those options. So when you're thinking about it, you know, white wines, Pinot Grigios, Northern Italian Pinot Grigios. Some of the Central Italian Pinot Grigios and California Pinot Grigios may creep up there into the 14s just because they're grown in a little bit of a warmer climate. You know, we haven't even talked about South America. You know, I bet there's some Uruguayan wines or even some Chilean or very Southern Argentinian wines that are going to fit this lower alcohol build because that's going to find you some of those cooler climates down there. Savion Blanc, depending on where it's grown. But, you know, kind of like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, our our wonderful Riesling. Riesling <laughs> is <laughs> Riesling's going to be down there in a, in a lower alcohol range. I wish you all could see <clears throat> my facial expressions. I know. You would be very entertained. I'm going to tell you this, Jordan. If we ever get this on YouTube, <laughs> if we ever get this podcast on YouTube, or wherever just starting to like record more to put out on on particular platforms you are going to do a white wine episode just so the people at home can hear <laughs> hear this and see this beautiful thing that you keep talking about every time you're on the show my white wine face y'all it's a <laughs> and, real thing and there's a difference between her white wine face and her sweet wine face oh yeah and they are both amazing <laughs> they're both absolutely amazing but anyway so you have like Riesling, Gewürztraminer, Slavoner, like all those grapes that are traditionally grown in very cold places, cold climates that give you that acidity and don't have a whole whole bunch of sugar to be fermented in the first place sometimes. That will give you those lower alcohol options that you're looking for. And honestly, you can find them under 10% alcohol if you're willing to deal with the residual sugar. Which I'm not. Uh, so just a quick bit about this wine before we jump off 
you know, this cremant de Alsace, it's made in the traditional method of sparkling wine making, which is the method champenoise, the champagne method. Ooh. So the same, the exact same method that's followed in champagne is done here. But what they use is they use Pinot Blanc. They use Pinot Gris. And for those of you who may not know, Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio are the same grape. It's just whether you're t- going to speak French or you're going to speak Italian when you say the when you say its name. And Pinot, oh God, this one I cannot say. Orios. It's A U X E R R O I S. So all of you out there in, in French or French speaking, I'm very sorry that I butchered how that <laughs> how that is how that's said. So those are the grapes that are used in it. Like we said, like Jordan said, it's 12% alcohol. It's 100% hand harvested. It takes six to eight weeks to ferment this to where to where they're done fermenting it. And then it's in racks for at least a year. So you get a lot of those notes, but it's not as laid down as some other ones. So that's why we're not getting some of that kind of same bready and toasty toastiness on it. 12.07% alcohol, specifically on the, on the tech sheet. There is 8.6 grams per liter residual sugar. That's actually pretty, that's higher than I expected it to be. And, you know, there's a total acidity number, but I'm not smart enough to know what that means. <laughs> At least Me yeah. either. <laughs> At least right now. But, all right. Well, that's a, that's a great wine. Great choice, Jordan. I'm, Thank I'm you. happy you pulled that one down. Now let's, uh, let's, I've got a little bit left because I may do some switching back around, as, but. As do I. Let, and there is some more in the bottle that if we both polish, there's a little, little bit more. Yeah. But let's, uh, let's jump over to the next wine. Oh, good. And it's in my favorite wine glass. <laughs> oh, it's in your shoe glass. I know. We, we have a lot of dirty wine glasses at the house right now. Don't judge me. <laughs> so this is the Gloria Friar. Blanc de Blanc. So Blanc de Blanc, white from white, or white of white. So this is 100% Chardonnay um, that is used in this. This is a California sparkling wine. It is not a California champagne. It is just a California sparkling wine. And cool note before we like really get into it, Gloria Friar is the first sparkling wine in Caneros, which is a region of california so as always we've got to get a little as always cheers cheers make sure you stare each other in the eyes make eye contact folks it's bad luck if you don't and if you ever get to meet my mother she will call you on it every time like the first time the first time (laughs) i drank with your mom i was making sure our glasses could hit and I took my eye off, and she goes, no, no, no. Do it again. Re-cheers. <laughs> and we did. We re-cheers. Uh, <laughs> she will make do, sure you gotta make she sure you will do, like, contact. the bug eyes at you and give you the fingers if she has to, like, the eye-to-eye fingers. Um, make that eye contact. It's one of the funniest things I've seen with her and her brother-in-law <laughs> is when she, like, puts them in their place. It's like, no, you didn't. You didn't stare me in the and eye. And my mother is... Five foot three, little tiny bitty thing. All of her brother in laws are like six foot plus. Big guys. Big big men. Um, Like all my uncles are 
and she will, uh, Julia will put them in their place for sure. Yeah, definitely. Which is really cool. But anyway. Sorry, side no, note. Off-rail side note. That's okay. It's a George episode. We <laughs> knew it was going to go off the rails at some point because it always does. But Gloria Friar, they are, like I said, they're the first sparkling wine in Caneros. Caneros is a subregion of technically both Napa and Sonoma, but they are more on the Sonoma side than they are. And their tradition actually goes back to Catalonia, Spain. So they Ooh. come from cava makers. Okay. So they brought the tradition of cava, cava making to here in the New World in the 80s. Surprisingly, it was in the 80s. I thought it was longer than that personally, I know, but I haven't when, researched it. So, Especially when you drink the wine, you know it's it's so good and you would think they've been doing it. Well, I mean, the family's been doing it, but in this particular place for much longer than just, what is it now, 46 years, 43 years, <laughs> if it's 1980. And, you know, they, one of the things that they even helped establish they helped establish the ABA of Caneros. So Did not know that. See, learning have, something new over here. You know, they have that that kind of history, and they knew Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, so they that's what they use. I think I saw on their website they have like thirty six different clones of Pinot Noir and four different clones of Chardonnay that they use. That's cool. And and it's three quarter to one quarter Pinot Noir to Chardonnay, and I think uh-huh. that's why you and I really like their regular blend and before they started making it a rosé only the blanc de noir uh i almost bought um the blanc de noir the rosé today but they did not have it cold in the case because i actually told josh i would pick up both these wines today he had he actually had a red wine that he was going to do and then i went to the liquor store and threw everything for a loop yeah it was it was a little those little too old and not really taken care of properly. Yeah. It wasn't terrible, but it was definitely on the edge. We tasted a little bit before the episode. Um but they didn't have the Blanc de Noir rose in the case cold and I really because I went a couple of hours before recording this, I really wanted to come home with cold bottles yeah. that I could stick in the fridge and continue to have cold. But so uh, sue me. <laughs> yeah. But Domain I mean not Domain Canaris. That's a whole different place. I was looking at one of their wines, that's what I was thinking of. But Gloria Friar is a pioneer not only in their winemaking Los Caneros and being the first sparkling winemaker, and I would I might argue that they're the best they're the best sparkling wine in Sonoma. I mean, that's a pretty big, heavy statement to that's say. That's a pretty big statement there, <laughs> But I, I would say that they're probably the best, especially the Etoile. That, no, it's not the Etoile. It's like, have I had that one? Anyway, they're, they're upper, upper end. I'll, we'll look it up as we're talking. But they are also pioneers in sustainability because they- Love that. And I think that's, it's a big thing with families that come from Europe- into the that have been winemakers in Europe and then come here to the U.S. They're like, uh, "Why are you not taking care of your land? Uh, your land makes your money. Excuse me, <laughs> right? <laughs> why, why are you not doing this? Because it seems like a lot of the a lot of the families, especially the older families that are doing it, are ones who 
started winemaking elsewhere and then came here to do it. And they're just a really cool property. Also, I think it's one of the most beautiful tasting rooms, tasting rooms in, in Sonoma. You, uh, you haven't, you haven't been I have there. not. I've actually never been to any of the wineries in California. Mm. Part of it is because the last time I was in California, I was barely legal to drink and I was there for a Marine Corps ball at Camp Pendleton (laughs) and it was a very very quick in and out trip from Bozeman Montana where I was in school to Camp Pendleton and back in like four days right at the end of the semester before finals not my smartest decision but a lot of fun yeah I can't (laughs) I can't even imagine how much fun that was I mean, seeing a room full of Marines in dress blues, doing a coordinated dance to the song Soldier Boy, whether you like the song or not, is pretty amazing when you've got like 300 of them that have it down pat. (laughs) That's what that's what drills for. (laughs) Also, having a date who was one of your former swing dancing partners and being able to swing dance in a formal dress and not flash everyone. <laughs> Thank you, win. Michael. And have an entire room stop to watch you is pretty fun too. <laughs> yeah, that has to be that has to be super fun. That has to be super amazing. Well, so Sorry. No. Off the rails as I do. <laughs> That's okay. Their tasting room their tasting room is amazing because you know, you're driving down whatever highway is kind of like the main one that gets you into Sonoma. It's kind of the one that runs along the Valley edge and uh, Jacuzzi has theirs out there as well. But Jacuzzi. Yeah. But as you're going up, you turn, you turn on to the side that goes up to the hillside. And so as you're going to their tasting room, you're going uphill and it's this like Spanish style villa. It's sitting at almost the crest of a hill. Uh. And they have, obviously, they have a large outdoor space. And, but you're looking over the probably a half a mile down the road of vineyards. Oh, how out, lovely. Out into sure the Sonoma Valley. Fabulous. It's, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. I really do think they have probably the prettiest tasting room that I've been to, especially view of in Sonoma. Never been there, but have seen really good pictures and stuff. Um, Another great view, beautiful tasting room is the Presquil tasting room. Yeah, Presquil wasn't open the last time I was there. I I figured um, because it's still relatively young. Are they in Sonoma or are they in? I would have to look it up. It's not Sonoma, but I'd have to look up exactly where they're at. Santa Rita. I think it's Santa Rita. Okay. But they, and like I said, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures and their tasting room, their view is beautiful. Yeah. I think they're a little bit farther south. I think they're down almost like Monterey, Monterey-ish kind of area. So they've got, they can, they can like look out and see the bay, all that, which is really cool. But it's the uh, Canaros Cuvée is there is Gloria Friar's Toppin, which is very, very, very good as well. So as we've been drabbering along and stuffing my face <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and drinking a little bit. So, you know, the nose of this kind of, like you said, has that little bit more bread 
brioche quality to that. And that's because this is aged longer. This is aged for two years. So it, it has was, two, two It was not the wine I was thinking of like <clears throat> when I smelled it, when I first tasted it, but it definitely is more bready than the Lucian Albrey. Yeah. But it was not the wine I was thinking of. So if I led you astray, I sincerely apologize. Yeah. So the, the Lucian Albrey is only a year on the yeast, and this is two and a half years on the yeast. I mean, it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Now there's brioche, there's acidity, there's mm-hmm. like you said, um, it's, this is twelve and a half percent alcohol, so we are still down in that lower range for for most wines. And the residual sugar on this is is actually a good bit higher. It's eleven point seven on it, but I think being one hundred percent Chardonnay, the Total acidity is probably higher, so that that is what's balancing it out to make it to where it's not doesn't come across sweet. Right. I mean, there's there is a note of sweetness, but it's more bread, acid. It's uh, it's almost like lemon curd on toasted brioche. That's a very good way to describe <laughs> it. Yeah, because you have that like sweet. We have some lemon curd. We do have lemon curd. We don't have brioche though. Oh, oh we well, brioche, never mind, folks. We have brioche toast. I mean, I'll eat lemon curd by the spoonful, but we have those like little processed brioche toast bites, not yeah, actually no, we toasted need, like, brioche. Brioche that we can toast yeah. or is already toasted. Yeah, no, we don't have that, but it has that kind of that the lemon is there. But it's sweeter style lemon. It's almost it could, you could also say it's Meyer lemon, maybe over lemon curd. You have that little bit of orangey kind of tangerineiness to it. Yeah, because one thing that I notice with Meyer lemon, and I do get this a little bit on this wine, and maybe it's just my weird palate. But whenever I eat anything Meyer lemon, I get a lot of floral on it. Mm-hmm. I get lemon, but I get a lot of floral as well. And I get lemon and with some floral on this wine. The floral is not as floral as a Meyer lemon per se. Right. But I do get that floral. So I can see where you would say like a Meyer lemon. Yeah. So I mentioned I was going to say talk more about this, but I didn't because I chose to wait until we got to this wine. But sugar. So sugar, when it comes to wine, is the alcohol game. Now. We have still wines that are fermented dry, which means all the sugar, residual sugar, is used up by those yeast. And that'll give you a particular alcohol level. Now, particular type of yeast you use, especially now in the age of engineered yeast, can live longer or shorter depending on what type of yeast you use. But there are wines that have so much residual sugar when they start that they just the they can't they can't ferment all the way. So these heavier must wines like Ausschlesser Rieslings or Baron Ausschlesser Rieslings or you know SNG or Vindetarjav Alsatian wines. <laughs> Jordan's over there giving her her sugar face. Those wines have so much sugar that the sugar is part of the flavor profile. Sweet on sweet on sweet, folks. So those are going to be less 
alcoholic because they're wanting to show off that sugar. The fermentation is either stopped or a yeast is used that won't go past a particular amount. And so you'll find, honestly, like I mentioned, 8 9%. These sweet wines, these super sweet dessert wines, are 8 9% alcohol. And for those of you who may have a family member or a friend who drinks sweet wines like Moscato's or even like Stella Rosa or even some Corbel, sweet Corbels. Oh, Corbel. I've got stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are lower in alcohol, but they're higher in sugar. So if they complain about having terrible hangovers, it may not always be the alcohol. It may be the amount of sugar that they've had because you can drink a bottle and a half of wine that has maybe just we'll, we'll take that back. You can have a <laughs> bottle of wine that's 13, 14% alcohol. They have a bottle and a half of wine have roughly the same amount of alcohol, but they've probably had 15 times the amount of sugar that you have. And sometimes your body doesn't process the sugar and the alcohol together well. And it's just that issue that they may be having the next day may be more sugar-related than it is actually alcohol-related. I didn't always have my aversion to sweet wines, and I'm not just talking like dessert wines, because there are definitely there is definitely a classification of wines that is sweet wines. Yeah. But I did notice that whenever I drank some of these sweeter wines, like Corbels and stuff, that I had worse hangovers. Yeah. And I really think a lot of it was the sugar content because I didn't drink any more than I normally would drink. Or maybe I had a glass more, but it's not like I drink three bottles and I normally drink a bottle. Um, But my hangover would be way worse. Yeah. And looking back, because obviously at that age, I wasn't thinking about... Mm-hmm. the science the way it's processed the whatever yeah. but looking back it was probably the sugar and the lack of food yeah <laughs> and i mean the alcohol is going to do something too but right i mean i'm not saying the alcohol didn't do anything but it's when i would drink a bottle versus a bottle or a bottle plus a glass right you know not that much more the like to like. Exactly. Like to like, but I would feel 10 times worse the next day. I didn't drink that much more. I didn't mix my alcohols. It's not like I went from whiskey to wine, beer, back to whiskey. I would just be drinking wine, but I'd feel god awful terrible. I really think that a lot of it had to do with the sugar content within right what i was drinking and that sugar hangover sugar hangover is a real thing sugar <laughs> sugar low that was a long way to say sugar hangover or sugar low is a long thing so i'm sorry but no, you right. guys know how i i babble wax <laughs> you wax eloquently about uh, different things all right I so babble. let's wax about this food oh my god in this. i need another uh <laughs> you Arancini. need another Arancini because you've eaten you 
Have you had one with this yet? Uh, I had. I actually was self-controlled and saved like a very small bite, but I'm pretty sure all the goat cheese is gone. So I want to get a fresh uh, arancini so that I get that goat cheese bite with this wine. Okay. Well, while you're doing that, I'll talk about the the steak fries. So the cheek, this works so freaking well with those steak cheese fries. This has that bottom extra note, that extra aging on the yeast, has that extra kind of brioche toastiness that just really works with that. It really works with that. The pepper and all the spiciness, spices that are on the meat meet that acid from the from the 100% Chardonnay and just our lights out. I am not as much of a fan with the Arancini with this one as I am with the other one. I think the tomato the tomatoness and some of the like fried sugariness not sugariness, the fried and the the starchiness of the rice doesn't quite work as well. It's good. It's it's really good, but it's not as good as the Lucien Albrecht. I think the Lucien the Lucien Albrecht with the Arancini was better. I agree with that. But I just had this bite of Arancini, and I mean, I had the panko fried outside, the lovely rice and tomato inside, the goat cheese. Like I made sure to get the total package in the spite and I had this burst of acidity that came with the wine that I didn't get with the Lucian Albrecht. Yeah. It was good, but also very unexpected because the Aaron Genie had a, with the Lucian Albrecht had kind of a, a sweetness, a mellow, a just, very married and i was like not expecting that burst of like acid but it's good it's good but it definitely is better with the lucian albrey yeah it was much more balanced and like you said that acidity just punches through i don't know what it is i don't know it's it's like it takes a minute to get through the starchiness of the rice and everything and it's just like hello it's almost like the wine Rebubbled, and I know that sounds oh, crazy, yeah. but it was just like boom coated my mouth. Like I'd swallowed my bite, I took a sip of wine, and it was just like explosion, it, but not in a good way, not in a like, oh, I want to do this every time. It might have been the carbonation because I've noticed the carbonation on this is more than the carbonation of the Lucina Bray, and that makes sense, but it was just. It was explosive where I haven't had anything to eat. I'm taking a sip and I don't get that yeah. burst. Yeah. I I don't know how else to explain it. You know, the patty melt is disappointing. I thought it was going to be a whole lot better with these than it actually turned out to be. Yeah. And the patty melt was, once again, in my personal opinion, better with the Lucian Albrey. I don't know if it's... Yeah, I don't know. It's just, there's there's something, I think it's the rye. I think it's the bread. And I love rye. Yeah, because this marbled rye is, it's a really good marbled rye, but it's very rye. Very rye. Like, you get a dark rye, and then you also get the white rye that has, like, the little bits of rye in it. Yeah, it's... And it's, it, it just kind of kills everything. But I want this rye 
every time I make a Reuben. Like, I want yeah. this particular rye. I don't know where they source their rye bread from. Yeah. Um, Because this sandwich came from a place, or this patty melt. Yeah. Came from a place in Hot Springs, which is about an hour from Little Rock, where we live, called the Ohio Club. Yep. And I don't know where they source their rye bread. And if they tell me it's something like Pepperidge Farm, I'm going to be ticked off. Uh, There's no way. I know it's not, but I'm just saying, like, for devil's advocate, because you love to play that. Like, they tell me, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're lying to me. Where do you really get your rye? Because that's some of the best rye I've had, and I've had some really good rye in my life. And so the Ohio Club. (laughs) So for those of you that don't know, the Ohio Club is a very famous spot in Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is or which was the major hangout of the gangster Al Capone. And that's right, folks. (laughs) Yeah. And Hot Springs, Arkansas was actually a bedlam for the gangsters. It was also the only the only defined neutral zone by all of the major mobs in the U.S. Well, no, Vegas isn't even one. Yeah, Vegas isn't even one. It was the only one that has ever been defined as a neutral spot for all the mobs. Like, they would not hit each other. They would go to each other's clubs. They would see each other in the street. They'd like, see each other in the nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. Let's be honest, it's because Yellowstone was too damn cold and didn't have enough population for yeah. them to uh didn't have a, go did, enjoy the waters. Didn't have didn't have a city. That was the thing. Hot Springs had a city already mm-hmm. and had that infrastructure and had the hot natural waters. That other that other places do. I'm not saying No, I'm hot. I was I'm saying that's why they didn't go there though, is there was <laughs> No city, no population, and no bathhouses. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if West Yellowstone would have been hot springs? <laughs> How much Montanans would have hated it? Would have hated it. I would have. Can you imagine? West. What, can you imagine what Grandma Lot? Oh, Grandma Lila, right? Lila. Lila would have done if they tried to pop up a, a big old city around her little four bedroom hotel. <laughs> So my great-grandmother had a four-bedroom motel in West Yellowstone back in the heyday. My parents own not only furniture but glassware that survived the earthquake in 58 or 59. I can never remember the year. I want to say it's 58. That formed Quake Lake in in Yellowstone Park. So several years ago, I actually found her sign from her motel. Fun little side story in a restaurant in Bozeman and convince the owner to give it to me for free, but it's the most expensive free sign you'll ever, ever encounter. Because she had to <laughs> ship it. I had to ship it and I had to ship it commercial from Montana to my parents' home in Arkansas. Did you say how big it was? I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> and it is four feet by six feet sheet metal. Yes. You heard that right. <laughs> um, a very expensive free sign <laughs> totally worth every penny i paid though uh, and one yeah. day i get it back <laughs> it's very it's very cool but so you know jordan has that history i have family history in in hot springs and you know some of that actually on two sides of my family 
on both both sides of my family. It's very it's a very interesting place, but this rye is is very good. It's very very good, and but I think the because the rye bread is so good, it just washes over the wine because rye and these wines don't go well together. Like maybe if it was a red, if we maybe if we were able to find a red wine that had like fit the parameters, maybe that would have been able to stand up to the rye a little bit better. But with these two wines, it's not. It does. It just doesn't work. So Jordan, yes, with these two wines in mind, besides what's what we've had tonight, what would you pair? What would you make to pair with them, or what would you get to pair with them? I want fried chicken. Okay. Well, then again, I always want fried chicken. So spicy or not? I don't. I love spicy fried chicken. But I don't think fr- spicy fried chicken would go well with either of these wines because they are on the lighter side. They are less bready, brioche, whatever term you want to use. Um, I think spice is going to kill them. Yeah. Or it's going to kill your pa- If it doesn't kill the <clears throat> wine, it's going to kill your palate, which essentially is still killing the wine. Right. I actually want something. I want something kind of cookie, but not an overly sweet cookie. Okay. Like Explain. a shortbread, something buttery. Okay. I kind of want to go grab a ginger bear, a gingerbread cookie. Yeah, I mean you can. Um, just right I don't over there. know if that would kill it though. I want a nice brie. Okay. With it, and like just regular brie. Or are you thinking like a truffle? You think a truffle brie would work? Or you think? Like a baked brie with a, a bunch of stuff with it. I want a baked brie, but I don't want to add sweetness to the brie. Like, I don't want to add a honey or anything. Okay. I want, like, a baked brie with maybe a little drizzle of butter and maybe some toasted walnuts or pecans on top. Okay. With a nice, crisp, like, gala app. Oh, uh, okay. To well, spread the, the brie on yeah. Um, you get some sweetness, you get some acidity, you get the rich fattiness of the cheese. Right. I think that would play well with either of these wines. Um, Are there any meats or any I meat want some kind prosciutto. of dishes? I just want some prosciutto. Okay. And maybe I just want prosciutto right now, but I think prosciutto, it's, it's flavorful, yet it's light. Yeah. It's got the fat, you know, it's usually got a nice layer of very thin because prosciutto is sliced so thin but like very thin fat i think duck ham or duck pastrami would go well with these or the duck prosciutto too or the duck prosciutto if you can find it you know what i want with these i want mincemeat mincemeat i want the grandma's mincemeat my grandmother <clears throat> not my great grandmother lila but my grandmother dana's mince homemade mincemeat Especially if she makes it with antelope meat. Because antelope meat's a little bit sweeter. So do you think like, so let's let, let's throw this out there. So let's say you have like an antelope tenderloin. I don't even, I don't even know. I've never had that, but that sounds delicious. <laughs> well, or antelope meat that you've had in the past. That's not mincemeat. That's okay. grilled or, you know, cooked on a pan like steak-like or... Do you think that would work with these wines? Yes. Okay. What about them would work? So it's, it is a sweeter meat in general. 
antelope, unless you get a really old antelope, it doesn't tend to be super gamey. Okay. Antelope actually reminds me a lot of goat. Mm. You know, it's a little, it's not sweet, sweet meat, but it's a little bit sweeter. It's got a nice fat content. Which if you've never had goat, goat is very similar to lamb. Yes. It's a little bit more fatty, but it has that like rich, light, but not as heavy as beef red meat flavor to it. But so goat is a little bit more fatty than kind of a lamb texture. So flavor. my grandmother used to can antelope. Like you would can tuna, like have canned tuna fish, yeah. but it would be antelope. Her grandfather hunted antelope. A lot of the family counted antelope. Whether they were successful or not was another question. Um, another story for another day. But antelope, goat, lamb. That goat dish that we had in New Orleans. Oh my gosh. What was At it? Saffron. Was it, was it goat vindaloo? I think it was goat vindaloo. That goat vindaloo in these would go really well. I think it would go better with the with the Gloria than it would the Lucian because of the extra little bit of sweetness that you get in the Gloria. I can Personally. get down with that. Because that it's the heat. Like yes. I want a little bit more sweetness to to counteract the heat. Yeah. The heat. I don't think this would go well with moose. Depending on what you do with the, what else you have with the moose. Maybe. I think it's how you would prepare the moose as well as what you would put with the moose. Not just the spices or whatever, but what sides or yeah. saw like what sauce, sauce or, how or whatever you mounted it. Yeah. I don't think it'd be the greatest with moose or elk. Yeah. Deer possibly, but that would be just all dependent once again on how you how prepare you it. Mm-hmm. Um but I think those sweeter Sweeter meats, not seafood sweet, but sweeter meats like antelope, goat, yeah, that have that like rich sweetness yeah. to them. And I th- speaking of seafood, I think any any seafood, any would, seafood would be beautiful with e- with either of these wines, right? I mean, even up to a salmon, oh, even up to like a fatty salmon or even fatty t- like tuna would even be, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, seafood and sparkling wine is just it's a slam dunk. They're most friends. Of, most of the time. Most of the time, they're really good friends. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, we've been, you know, currently chit-chatting for a little bit over an hour. So Ooh, it's been that long. <laughs> I think uh, what we need to decide, I think we've already said it, but let's say it officially, our favorite thing to eat with each one of the wines, and then we'll head into the blind. So with the Lucian Albrey, for me, it was the Arancini. Yeah, I totally Just agree. The goat cheese, the little bit of sweetness you get from the tomato sauce, the starchiness of the rice, the fried panko outside, just that and the Lucian Albrey were, for me, lights out. Can I eat that every day of my life and not get fat, please? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me, like everything you said, it, it was the acidity of the Lucian Albrey that just worked so well. It wasn't over. It matched the goat cheese. So that enhanced that, yeah. which helped cut through all the other heavier elements of the arancini. And the tomato 
the, t- the tomato supported everything so well. The tomato to me was the key of why that pairing works so well. All right. What about the Gloria? So the Gloria, I think it's got to be the fries. Oh, yeah. It's the fries. Uh, the, the fries. Um, that little bit of pepper from the steak bacon, which was, like yeah. we said, very similar to pastrami, to put it in terms of what you'll understand. If you Even what had, I understand. Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't know steak bacon was a thing until recently. <laughs> but, you know, you've got the the fried aspect of the fries. Yeah. The pepper and a little tiny bit of sweetness on the meat. Yeah. And saltiness. And then, yes, cheese whiz, people. <laughs> it, was, it was, as as the Phillies would say, whiz. Wits, wits, whiz. I'm not even yeah. sure how to um, phrase it, but just, but just like wits. The creaminess. Mm-hmm. It it just was a really nice combination that I would be completely and utterly happy with that with either of those wines, but I do think with the Gloria it was a better bite. Yeah. The or ex- plate. <laughs> the extra residual sugar that it had helped with that spicy bite of the the spices on the beef and the acidity helped just razor through that process of the whiz. Yeah. And it just it was so freaking good. Like I am like I like I picked the I picked the food pairings and I am extremely surprised at how well that worked. I knew it was going to work. For that exact reason, acidity going to cut through the fat, some sort of residual sugariness going to help with that spiciness. But I did not know that it was going to work that well. The olives were terrible with the Lucien Albrecht. <clears throat> they were not great with the Gloria, but I'd say they were better with the Gloria. Just a right. little bit extra sugar to cut through the brininess, the tanginess mm. of the olives. Yeah. If you want to talk about my singular pairing that he did not pick. <laughs> I just oh, really like olives man. and pickles, y'all. Oh yeah. But all right. So Jordan's gonna get a blind poured up for me and I will taste through it here in just a second. Alright, so Jordan has poured me up a blind here and we'll go ahead and give it a cheers because you know There's other- some in my glass too. <laughs> otherwise otherwise I can't drink it. So, uh, this is a red wine she's given me. It is uh, fairly kind of clear to see through with its intensity of color. It is a lighter red, I'd say, maybe a ruby, going out to just a standard watery meniscus out there. And uh, there's not really... Let me get a proper twirl here. Give it this Uh There's not... Too many legs. They're fairly quick, so not that big. That kind of tells me possible alcohol level here. Or just more of a viscosity than anything. So the wine smells clean. It smells uh, like red fruits, kind of brighter red fruits. I'm just over here drinking, folks. Also some beeswax. Getting some beeswax on kind of the nose. With a little bit of like earthiness and a little bit more barn kind of flavors, but those actually kind of jump out first before the note the the fruit on it. 
But there's definitely like a red fruit. It's kind of fresh red fruit, cherries, uh, raspberries kind of flavor, maybe even some strawberry on there. Hmm. Wine is very lean in texture. It is, you know, there's not really very many tannins. I'd say tannins are medium at most. Alcohol here is medium, so we're looking here at a 13 to 14% range, I would say. And acidity is fairly medium, medium plus. I'm going to come, I'll come back to it. Actually, let me rephrase that. The, uh, the acidity is medium plus because it made my mouth water. As I was saying that, it stopped me alarm my face a little bit. Yeah. Acid is definitely up there, medium plus. Alcohol, probably 13, 13, 14 range. But, Everything I was saying, beeswax, a little bit of barn, baking spices, red fruit, fresher on the red fruits there from the flavors, a little bit of earthy kind of dustiness on it. I'll tell you this, I like this wine. It's good wine. Very balanced. Nobody told me the blind had to fit the parameters of the 12% or under or 12.5% and under. No, it, it does not. <laughs> it does not have to fit that. I think because of like the acidity being higher, alcohol not being that much, very lean texture. And we're looking at a cooler climate here. And I think we're going to, I think this is going to be an old world wine. Possible grape varieties here. We're looking at Gamay. Uh, we could be looking at. Something like Pinot Noir. We could be looking at Sangiovese with the cherry and the uh, the strawberry and the dustiness. Uh, so possible countries then are France and Italy. So I think this is, like I said, old world wine. I think it's from France. I think it's a Pinot Noir. I think it's a Pinot Noir. Drive my car. Pinot Noir caviar. Uh, I think it is kind of around the Burgundy region. I don't think it's like specifically one or not. And I think it's fairly recent vintage. We'll say twenty between twenty twenty one and twenty eight. So that is my guess, and you'll have to come back next week to figure out whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. And sadly, Jordan will not be on next week's episode. Sorry, folks. It's going to be back to Dad and I, and we are going to be doing rye. Beers, so beers that malt that mash bill f- are focused in rye. I may show up. You never know. <laughs> she may. That show- sounds pretty delicious. She may show up. She might bring a rye whiskey. <laughs> 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 you never, you never know. I'm still searching for which one I'm going to be doing. So you'll have to come back next week or watch the socials to see what we're doing. But once again, we're very happy to have you guys along with us. I'm very happy to have you along with us episode jordan it was a fun and a great episode thank you as always for letting me come tell my random stories and babble for an hour or so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was lots of fun and we really thank you guys out there in podcast land for being with us remember we're out there on the socials facebook instagram and tiktok we're on your favorite podcast platforms give us a share like rating however you guys do it don't forget to give us that Please, 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 please give us a star rating and a review. 
not only does it help us know what you like and what you don't like, it helps us be found by other people so that we can share this wonderful podcast with all the people out there in the world. And, you know, if you want, feel like sending us an email, acquiredtastingsgmail.com. So for us here at Acquired Tastings, once again, or excuse me, Acquired Tastings After Dark, once again, this is Josh Mills. And this is Jordan. And we'll see you next time.